so in early 2015, when I left Warby Parker, I went on the job hunt and ended up taking a position at a recently funded startup called Jack Irwin, a direct consumer men's shoe company. At the time, they had just closed a pretty significant round of funding and were poised to, to grow aggressively and become the leader in the direct consumer shoe space. More on that story later, but around that same time, I met a young entrepreneur who had recently started a new brand based out of Minneapolis called Oliver Cabell. He was selling some bags, leather goods, wallets, and had a really clean design aesthetic, and at the time I didn't think too much of it, but I followed along. He continued to pop up. Great design, good instincts, small brand continued to grow, never made big waves, never raised a huge amount of money, but continued to grow step by step. And then he pivoted his business and went into shoes. He started launching individual collections with a small inventory count that would sell through. He would put the upcoming several styles on his website and allow people to go on a wait list. This was a way for him to monitor demand for a certain product. It would inform how much he purchased of that SKU and was just a really interesting, manageable, basic supply and demand way of growing his business. So to this day, he has a business that I believe is really healthy and is still built on good design, is still built on creating products that people want based on actual feedback from customers that they want it and has grown slowly and steadily. So I was excited to have him on the show. Some of the things we talk about today are how he came to some of those decisions about evolving his business into shoes, doing limited release launches. We also talk about how he came to the decisions to not raise outside capital, keep his headcount low, and really have an efficient small business that grew slowly. So without further ado, please enjoy Scott Gabrielson. It'd be great to understand a general introduction to the business of Oliver Cabell and how it started and where you are today. Sure. So um, we're based here in Minneapolis, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier. The culmination of Oliver Cabell really stemmed from my time at business school. Um, actually, I was in, in graduate school studying design and business as well at Oxford University in England. It was during 2014, 2015, when a lot of the direct consumer brands were coming about. It was a really interesting for myself for various reasons. But I think the, the biggest one was the attraction to bringing products at this value play. So cutting out traditional wholesale, bringing products direct to consumer, really focusing on value and these ethos that, you know, our sort of generation, the millennial generation, if you will, really sort of tends to resonate with. So that was where the idea sort of stemmed from. And it was a a sort of a 12 month process from um, just incubating the idea, really bringing it through school and eventually launching it as a a very small project with a landing page. And um, we were just doing a few small little wallets at that time. Um, We ended up getting, I think, around like 15,000 email signups. So this was still fairly early in terms of transparency around production and pricing and material sourcing and construction and all the rest. With that, we we sort of, again, launched Bootstrap. That was right after after business school when I moved back to the U.S. And during that time, it was a, sort of a, a small evolution into footwear. We were doing all of our production in the Marche region of Italy, which is where a lot of the high-end footwear brands are currently producing then and, and now and still today. Uh, so we had a lot, we had a sort of a supply chain that was already built in that region. Um, we had access to lab 
brass to, to pattern makers to stitchers, all the rest. And we just, we, we really started our first prototype, which was the low one and launched that silhouette on our site, which was, we we're still having some bags in the rest that we we're selling. And it took off in a sense. We still have not raised any financing today. The company is completely bootstrap, completely focused on growing through cash flow and, and profitable business. During my, I, my previous work experience in investment banking and, and venture capital really sort of gleaned my interest in going that route with the business. So that's, that's really where we're a little bit different than some of the brands that exist today. I remember, and I told myself I wouldn't go down the rabbit hole, but I remember when you were early on in the business and you were selling wallets and leather goods. This is before shoes, you were selling leather goods. And I remember having a conversation with you when you were deciding to pivot to footwear. Why footwear? And then I think one thing also that you should touch on that I know is really interesting about your business is your scheduled limited run drops that you've rolled out that I think you've done really well with. And I'm fascinated by that. Could you talk about those two, two things really quickly? Because I think those there's some really interesting lessons in those two things. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, as you as you mentioned, we were doing some some leather goods and, and we really launched our first shoe as sort of a, a, let's just see what happens. There was a lot of interest, a lot of hype in this space of, of hiring footwear. Obviously, Jack Irwin was- Yeah, really I, was a, yeah I was at Jack Irwin at the time. That's right. Which is so funny. Um, and I've followed that brand very closely and, and you know, we've- done production in some of the areas that you guys have in El Manza region of Spain and all the rest. But it was really, can we take this existing um, sort of style and design aesthetic that we have of being very minimal, very clean, focused on high quality leathers and materials and bring it outside of leather goods. Our, our sort of realization was that, you know, you can build the best wallet or best bag, but people don't need five of them or 10 of them. They don't need them for another 10 years. The footwear is a much different in the in sort of the consumer psyche, if you will. So let's let's see what that consumer psyche really is, and and what if they'll be able to resonate with what we're doing. Given this sort of transition outside of a more formal workspace, we felt that sneakers, for really two reasons, one uh, seemed to resonate well with what the brand was and and still is at that time, and two, we felt that people were making that transition. So when we were going through this thought process, the big question was: is what's going to work and what's not going to work, and how can we do a lot of testing behind it? Because the fact that we haven't raised traditional funding, you know, we really can't have a lot of losers from an inventory standpoint. Mm -hmm. So let's release various styles, let's release uh, different colorways, materials, and just try to learn as much as we can. Because of this, we sort of unintentionally built this hype mechanism into the business where, you know, a lot of the releases that we do are only 20 to 50 pairs. A lot of times we don't re-release them unless they really, really do well or something special in one regard or another. So our existing customer base and, and a lot of new customers realize that if they do want a specific style, they essentially have to buy it immediately or there's a good chance they'll never to it again. Yeah. And that premise is what allowed us to continuously sell out of, of new releases every week yeah. and allowed us to cash flow and finance the entire business going forward. Right. Now we're at a place where thousands of pairs of our low one and white, which is our best selling style, and we could sit on a couple thousand for a few months and it's not really a big deal. But at that time, it, it was a big deal and we couldn't afford to have big promotions, big discounts, or, or really a be sitting with inventory because we thought that is our Achilles heel and we, we needed to avoid it every chance we can. Right. Yeah, it's really, I mean, I watched it happen. Honestly, I was, I was following the brand. I watched it happen. I was like, okay, now he's launching what seems like he's launching a lot of products. 
But what he's actually doing is he's dropping limited inventory of really unique products, building up demand and selling through, which is just really smart. And which I think you learned, which I've known because of my time at Jack Irwin, is people can justify owning 20 pairs of shoes pretty easily. And they get equally excited about the new pair. It's always about the new pair, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It becomes a cult. like <laughs> It's a culture. Anyway, I want to... I want to pivot sort of to the premise of of this episode and this series of episodes that I'm doing, which is we're knee deep in the coronavirus. We're on Zoom right now because we're social distancing. Can you walk me through, as all of the news started to come out and it got more serious, how you personally and then also how your business reacted to this new reality? Yeah, yeah, of course. So we'll all be 100% transparent and candid here because there's just really no reason not to be. And it's sort of what our ethos of the brand's built on. The coronavirus really hit us like a ton of bricks. Going into spring, especially in the, the sneaker market and really the white sneaker market, if you will, is, is kind of the, the busiest time and the best time for us, right? So we had planned from it from an inventory standpoint, a PO standpoint, and all the rest. We do all of our production in Italy. So we did have a couple of weeks sort of heads up that there was some things that were happening within the supply chain, that these issues were popping up much more prevalent within Italy, but there was no sort of expectation or, or, or anticipation of the NBA canceling, which we saw as sort of, the, that was, you know, March 10th, which I think was when the NBA ended up postponing the season. That was really when we felt the sort of US and international consumer really react dollar wise, really voting with their dollars. For us, we're in a unique position in the sense that we run very, very lean with most of our expenses being quite variable. We have very, very low headcounts. A lot of our, our folks are international and overseas. We have no brick and mortar. Um, we have no one on retainers. So this really allowed us to sort of mitigate this reality as, as best as possible. We don't really believe in running massive promotions really ever, especially now, um, which we're seeing a lot of brands doing, probably most of the direct consumer brands, at least in, in our silo. You know, our ethos has been, let's really double down when people are actually buying and we can run a promotion then and maybe two to three X a good month's revenue, then sort of trying to smooth out when times are tough and rough, if you will. So what, what we did from a strategic standpoint was we, we initially just pulled back almost everything on the, on the prospecting um, side of things from an advertising standpoint. Obviously, that's primarily through Facebook and, and, uh, and Instagram, but as well as Google display ads and all the rest, and really just try to get a good understanding of what's going on from a purchasing and conversion and all the rest standpoint. We really try to be as efficient as we can with our dollars. So we saw some very <laughs> inefficient days. So that was sort of our initial reaction. Let's let's pull all this back and let's sort of revamp it and, and ease back into it, which are the last really five to six days we have been able to do. It's nowhere near the volume before COVID, but we are starting to see a little bit of a tick back. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously with all your manufacturing being in Italy, I'm sure that, that was felt pretty immediately. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the things that people don't consider is people assume that e-commerce companies are you know, not impacted quite as much, but people need to consider also supply chain, obviously, and, and being dependent on direct-to-consumer and e-commerce. Look, if that supply chain is disrupted in any form, it's going to affect your business in a, in a real way. Also, just purchasing. I think people are being a little tighter with purchasing across the board with the exception of like food and hand sanitizer. So yeah, I mean, it's was it intentional for you to have a low headcount, not have anybody on retainer, run your business incredibly lean in preparation for not necessarily something as drastic as this, but just in preparation for market turmoil or, or, what, or whatever it is? 
No, um, the reason for it is one of just like internal paranoia. You know, we're, we're again, not raising funds. So we're never sitting on millions of dollars. So we have to be very strategic on where these dollars do go. And knowing, you know, we're still in our infancy and there's so much unknown that we can't have these potential massive burdens if there is a massive change within the business. Right. That could be from an inventory side of things from a pure, like a supplier went out of business and we need another two to three months to revamp what that supply chain looks like. We just can't have, if, if any of those issues do arise, we don't have the infrastructure from a financing standpoint to really support it. We could, of course, go out and try to find more funding or whatever it may be, but that's where we see these businesses like us sort of contend to die. And that's sort of the scary thing with a lot of the direct consumer brands out there is they are so focused on fundraising and having that next round of capital and really terrible events like COVID or large economic shifts like the housing bubble burst puts a lot of pressure on companies to do what they're doing and still trying to finance the business. You know, Using venture dollars as basically just ongoing debt. Exactly. And, and most of these venture funds, I mean, they're not writing checks right now, right? And they probably won't be for the foreseeable future. And when they start coming back to it, of course, COVID is going to come into play when they're looking at performance and growth and all the rest. But if they see a flat year over year, while that may be actually a really good thing because of COVID and how impactful that had been on, on most of these businesses, they're still not looking for businesses that are not growing three to four right, X. Right. And I think that's where there's going to be a little bit of shakeout, but it's also sort of wakes people up a little bit to focus on building a business profitably through cash sustainably being smart about it and not just trying to build a brand that's purely on awareness and burning capital yeah you know it's something i speak about a lot it's a big trend obviously right now and it's finally coming to light in a lot of ways that building a business that way is no longer in vogue as much as it was to put it lightly i think candidly it's a little scary to think about all of those businesses being built using that growth trajectory how they're going to survive through COVID. my last question before my closeout question is what do you think the impact is to the wider market and I think it'd be interesting to hear your perspective just sort of on the direct consumer growth stage business startup business market. When you think broad strokes about the impact that this will have, what are your thoughts? You know, for better or worse, I, I think it's, you know, we just saw Everlane on March 30th release 225 customer service folks because it's sort of the reality of direct consumer brands, especially are not built for this sort of big downturn. And when they, when they are, it's super impactful because a lot of them have headcount that is, you know, the Warby Parkers of the world hiring college grads from Ivy League universities and paying them you know, of a fair salary, which is amazing. It's an, it's an awesome opportunity, but in the same, the same vein, can businesses support that without being dependent on external financing? Um, I don't know if that's the reality. And it, it kind of, it, it makes me a little nervous. You know, obviously a lot of these brands we've sort of built ourselves around, we've become good friends with the founders and have really cheered on their successes. And within the first two weeks of this being a reality of COVID, we've seen brands start to shutter. This is still, we don't know where the, the end of the tunnel is. So it, it's going to be nerve wracking to see. I, I think, you know, the silver lining of it all is hopefully it, it's, you know, at least for ourselves, we sort of have, have continue to rethink our own structure from a, a cash reservation standpoint and, and headcount and inventory and, and ordering POs. And I think it's going to do the rest for sort of everyone across the board as well. Absolutely. I was going to ask if there are any silver linings, but you just touched on that. Uh, my last question is, um, 
how can listeners, how can myself or listeners support your business outside of buying shoes? Although that's, that's, <laughs> that's perfectly, that's a perfectly good answer as well. How can we support yeah. um, you to help, help you get through this, this craziness? Yeah. Well, obviously buying shoes is a great one, but no, the reality is, is I think the biggest thing that all of us can do is support each other and and sort of more importantly, stay home. You know, that's probably what's going to speed up the recovery from all of this and, and in turn help, help us and help everyone out. But that's sort of, at least right now, the only reality. That's a great point. Stay home because the best thing that can happen is for this to pass and us start to rebuild. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. We've known each other remotely for, for a number of years now, and it's been fun to follow follow the brand and its evolution. And I'm, I'm excited for the next chapter after this. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to chat. Yeah, man. Nice to chat. We'll speak soon. All right. Bye. Bye.